0: You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week here on Bloomberg Radio on YouTube and of course uh, around the world here. What uh, we are going to get into is an the cruise industry because we are here with one of the CEOs of the world's, or we are here with the CEO, I should say, of the world's largest cruise operator. The company, by the way, launching its first cruise from a U.S. port. They did that on July 3rd out of Galveston, followed by their first cruise from Port Miami. That was on July 4th. He was there. And then Carnival Breeze setting sail today out of Galveston. That's happening at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. So let's get to it with Arnold Donald, president and CEO of Carnival. Arnold, it is great to have you back with us. I feel like you and I have been talking about a restart, things getting back closer to normal for a long time. How does it feel? You've been waiting a long time for this, especially to see those ships out of U.S. ports.
2: You know, Carol, uh, good afternoon, first of all. But it is a phenomenally exciting, fulfilling feeling, not just because we get to welcome guests back on board our ships, but also because there's so many people who are dependent on crews for their livelihood. You know, port workers, uh, uh, Uber drivers, taxi drivers, uh, the destinations around the world all have um, so many people dependent on the industry and people providing provisions to the ships and servicing the ships. So it's a very exciting time to have guest operations once again out of the U.S.
0: How's it going so far with these ships that you have? And I know you've had ships going on over in Europe, so you know you've, you have some experience in how things go post-pandemic. How about with the U.S. ships specifically? Because I believe off the Galveston ship, passengers have already come off. How did it go? Is there any COVID cases? Were there any concerns?
2: You know, it's gone exceedingly well. Uh, the ships in Europe, as you pointed out, for our Costa and Aida brands have been saving, uh, sailing under different protocols. Uh, because largely there are people unvaccinated. So physical distancing, um, universal testing, additional medical screening, etc. cetera. Uh, so far here in the U.S., we've been sailing under the conditional sale order issued by the Center for Disease Control, um, which focuses on having most of the guests vaccinated. And that allows for a more open cruise. And they've gone a very, very, very well. Uh, we just got the net promoter scores back from the guests, and it's the highest scores we've had in, in quite some time. Um, unlike a lot of the other folks sailing, we had a lot of people on our ship. We had over 2,600 guests on one ship, over 2,700 on another. We've already into our second week of cruising on those ships with even more guests on board, and the experience has just been fantastic, and it's, it's a very rewarding feeling to finally be get back out at sea um, exceeding guest expectations and and just developing lifelong memories for people.
1: Arnold, give us an idea about demand right now because 2019 was a record year in terms of bookings. Where are you right now?
2: Okay, Tim. Uh, where we are right now is uh, what we've told you back in June 24th. You know, we're between quarters. We're publicly traded company, so we can only say so much. But at that time, we indicated that our bookings second half of 22. We're well in excess of 2019's kind of record bookings, same point in time. Wow. Uh, and right now it's hard to talk a lot about occupancy and whatnot because of all the rules and regulations and restrictions and, and what have you. And some things we self-impose on ourselves, for example, in Europe, where we've um, absolutely reduced the number because of the additional protocols in place for those unvaccinated cruises. Uh, but to make a long story short, Demand is robust. We have plenty of demand. Um, we're bringing the ships just in um, a few at a time. Uh, we have over 85 ships in total. Today, sailing in the U.S., we've had three. We're about to launch uh, new sailing, as you mentioned, in the breeze, which will uh, be our fourth one. And then we'll have three ships in Seattle uh, later uh, this month. And then July 31st, Mardi Gras. <laughs> carnival uh so our newest ship and uh just an unbelievably fabulous ship with the first roller coaster at sea
1: <laughs> first well, roller coaster at sea can you give us an idea of pricing power that you have right now considering demand is so strong and look this i'm asking this question in the context of the inflation data that we got earlier this week people are getting back out there companies are raising prices because demand is so high what is your pricing power right now
2: yeah well pricing is 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 strong there's no question about it um you know, there's far more demand than there are cabins available, uh, especially here in the U.S. with the sales we have. Uh, so, pricing is strong and we expect it to continue to be strong. Not only because we're the best vacation experience there is, uh, but we the best vacation value there is, even with stronger pricing compared to the equivalent land based vacation. And so, we're expecting um, a, a robust environment in demand, which leads to a robust environment for pricing especially with the staggered introduction of um, ships coming back in uh, which is going to happen you know over time as destinations begin to open again.
0: Are pricing similar to what we had pre-pandemic Arnold are we seeing it similar to that or is there a a little bit more flexibility?
2: Um, Right now I would say if again if you look at bookings Mm -hmm. I can only say what I've I've said during the the business update right Um, but the fact is pricing is stronger. Is stronger than what it was in 2019.
0: So, you know, what's interesting, too, is I have to wonder, Arnold, uh, you know, you came in after some crises at the, the ship, really righted the company. I do wonder how difficult, though, it is. Um, to kind of assess your outlook for this industry, especially, you know, we talk every day about the Delta variant and the increases that we're seeing once again, right? And you have different rules and regulations. We just had a headline, Canada, to lift the ban on large cruise ships as of November 1st. That just uh, crossed a few minutes ago across the Bloomberg. How difficult is it to assess the outlook and get a, get a hold of the business, especially when once again we have something like the Delta variant?
2: Well, I think uh, so, several comments. first. Everyone should get vaccinated It's the best way to protect themselves and those that they love. So everyone should try to um, get a vaccination unless they have a medical reason or a deep religious you know, belief for, uh, for, to not. Other than that, they, they should get vaccinated. Having said that, there will be other variants. Uh, there's a Delta variant, there'll be other variants. And what we have to do is learn as a society overall how to live with this virus mm-hmm. and the various variants that can come. And the best way to do that is to take the advanced medical uh, knowledge that exists and take advantage of it. So vaccinations now, uh, later there's also advanced treatments if, if someone does happen to contract a virus and having challenges with it. And, so, uh, and then the other measures we need to take if there's a variant that shows up, which hasn't happened yet, uh, that is threatening to those who are vaccinated, uh, then we'll have to return to protocols of mask wearing and physical distancing and things we've learned until the medicine catches up, you know, with that particular variant. Uh, so, but keep in mind, we've dealt with viruses for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, the cruise industry has had to deal with Ebola and Zika and SARS and MERS, and, and the world has had to. Uh, and now the world is getting a grip on this particular virus. And plaudits to all the scientists and technologists and all the people, the first responders, everyone that has gotten us, have gotten us to this point, uh, which is a phenomenal thing from something that we didn't even understand 15 right. months ago to multiple vaccines, advanced treatments, you know, known protocols to mitigate spread. And if we act responsibly, we can manage this.
0: We are talking with Arnold Donald, of course, the CEO of uh, Carnival Corporation. We do want to welcome all of our viewers on Bloomberg TV. We are live on Bloomberg TV, Bloomberg Radio, and on YouTube. Hey, Arnold, though, let me push a little bit on the Delta variant. I mean, how does the Delta variant at all impact your restart, especially here in the United States? As we said, Carnival Breeze going out uh, shortly later this afternoon. Um, does it, are you seeing any impact on bookings or any cancellations as a result of that?
2: I know we have not. Uh, we have not seen a major impact. Again, I think the scientists around the world are pretty much aligned around the fact that um, being vaccinated uh, prevents two things. One is the possibility of contracting a virus, but then if you do contract it, um, probability that you'll have any serious effects from it. It also appears, and there's a little more debate around this, but the scientists seem to agree, that it also mitigates the spread of the virus, that if you have it, you have less of a viral load, and so your propensity to transmit is a little bit less. Uh, So we have not seen a big impact from it. Obviously, it will impact access to destinations, Mm -hmm. you know, places where people aren't vaccinated yet or or just not enough of the population is, so it can slow down progress that way. And then we're going to pay close attention, but as we always do, we'll follow you know the authorities around the world. We have to be in compliance everywhere and we'll follow the, the good counsel from the leading medical um, uh, scientists and, and, and personnel that we work with constantly.
0: Hey, Arnold, you've seen a lot of economic cycles. And I think we are trying to assess in our conversations with everybody here at Bloomberg and on air, uh, what is the economic outlook? You'll hear from one airline CEO says things are gangbusters. (laughs) Things are going, you know, really, really strong. We hear from the Fed chief. We hear from Fed members uh, that, you know, the Fed chief reminding us once again that, listen, you know, it's going to take time to get back to where we were pre-pandemic, which is why he is still supportive of uh, some of the measures that the Fed has taken during the crisis how do you see it? Um, Is the economy going gangbusters, getting closer? Is it going to be for a little bit and then calm down? How would you describe it?
2: You know, I'm not an economist, uh, uh, a pronosticator, extraordinaire or anything. But my experience right now is the economy is strong and that there's a lot of pent-up demand. People are anxious to travel and to enjoy things. Again, they've been um, you know, for quite some time on lockdown or near lockdown. And so there's a, a lot of uh, excitement and interest. People are having a hard time hiring people for a period of time uh, because of stimulus packages and, and other things. Are you
0: having problems h- hiring people?
2: Well, we recruit from 145 countries around the world. And so for us, that's really not the issue. on um, the shore side jobs as we ramp up, I'm sure we'll face some challenges in in some areas.
1: Hey, Arnold, given that you recruit from 145 countries all over the world, how do you ensure that your staff actually have access to vaccines, given that the vaccine rollout across the world has been really uneven?
2: That's a great question, Tim. And we are very grateful to so many people around the world who have helped us gain access to vaccines for our crew, because the reality is we can't as a commercial entity directly access the vaccines. So it's the uh, localities like Miami and Galveston and here in the U.S. and other places around the world that have made the vaccines available. And they do be so because they know the economic impact of crews. And so we can get our crew um, vaccinated that way and, and have been around the world.
1: So using the United States to vaccinate crews from around the world?
2: Yes, we're, we're getting vaccines around the world. We're also vaccinating in, in the U.K. And, and other ports around the world.
0: And my understanding is, Arnold, that you know, in order to get a ship out of a U.S. port, you have, I think, at least 95% of passengers and 95% of crew vaccinated. Is that, is that correct? Is that the minimum?
2: Uh, that's under the conditional sale order that mm-hmm. the Center for Disease Control currently has in place. So you can sail that way. Um, without a lot of uh, restrictions. You know, the guests don't have to physically distance. They uh, don't have to wear a mask. We, we recommend they wear masks anyway, but, but they don't have to. And so uh, if you want to sit under those conditions, which are the ideal conditions?
0: And I know you guys, and I know we're talking with your team and with you, that you guys have been back and forth with the CDC and, and real, you know, trying to get up to date and keep up to date um, with the conditional sale orders and the changing conditions. You know, what is the CDC telling you at this point? Are, are you at all concerned that they're going to kind of pump the brakes when it comes to the restart here in the United States?
2: We have a few remaining challenges okay. um, to, to get through. For example, if you wanted to sale with less than, 95 percent of the guests vaccinated Uh, some of the protocols that are currently mandated make it almost impossible to to sail in a manner that works for the guests and so we continue to work with them to modify those for those situations where that would ultimately make sense Um, but we're optimistic that the cdc along with um, the biden administration and the various uh, cabinet members and, and their uh, staff that are, have responsibility for servicing the public health and, and making sure the economy is strong, uh, that, that collectively um, they'll weigh in and, and make the right decisions. And, and we've made some meaningful progress. Mm-hmm. Our objective would be that we would be treated the same as other sectors in travel and leisure.
1: What's the message that you have for somebody watching or listening right now who still may be uneasy about getting back on a ship in this environment?
2: I'm sorry Tim, it faded out. Could you repeat? The uh, question, yeah, I just
1: please? was wondering the message that you would have for somebody who's listening right now or watching right now, if they're potentially uneasy about getting back on a ship in this environment?
0: I'm thinking about our own Charlie Pellet, who has gone on a lot of Carnival yeah. cruises, loves to go oh. cruising and can't wait to get back out there. What's the message that you would, you know give to somebody who's looking at the industry maybe a little hesitant and wanting to get on a ship, what would be the message you would say to them?
2: Oh, the message is simple. Come aboard. I, uh, you know, get vaccinated, please. But if you're vaccinated, come aboard and um, and enjoy yourself. Uh, you're going to have a, a safe cruise, and you're going to have a great time.
0: Hey, you know, those recurring cruisers. I know, like our Charlie Pellet, who works here at Bloomberg. <laughs> They give you guys a great um, window into future cruises. Talk to us a little bit about that because I know there's millions of them <laughs> out there, right, that take a cruise, come back. I remember being on your ship and p- sitting in, the, you know, in an elevator and people saying it was my fifth cruise, my sixth cruise. <laughs> but it gives you, right, some visibility in terms of where you're going. What are you seeing on that front?
2: Oh, in terms of the future? You yeah. mean for the industry? Yeah,
0: or and for you the specifically, future? yeah.
2: Yeah, the future for us and for the industry is, is super bright. Keep in mind, prior to COVID, about a half a billion people a year took holidays or vacations around the world. We were sailing, as an industry, 30 million people a year. We sailed a over 13 million across our nine world-leading cruise line brands. And um, when you think about it that way, you realize what the opportunity is where the best vacation value there is, where the best vacation experience there is. And so we have nothing but upside. Uh, we were on a great role as an industry prior to COVID. We were growing, things were great, great returns for the shareholders, great experiences for the guests. And we'll be back to that. You know, we'll we'll have to stagger the ships in. But by spring next year or later, assuming the trajectory for the pandemic continues the way it's going, uh we'll we'll be back to where we were, um, exciting people and enticing more and more people to the great experience that accrues us.
0: So I have to say, uh, our audience, financial audience, and folks on the terminal, <laughs> sending me message, and they're like, "Okay, so ask Arnold. You know, we're hearing it. He's very optimistic. It's positive to see another U.S. ship or another ship out of a U.S. port. You did, though, guide for positive EBITDA by the summer of 2022, provided the full fleet is up and running, right, and we're back to those more normal occupancy levels." Um, do those, and I know earnings are coming up, so you tell me what you can tell me. Do those assumptions, <laughs> though, Arnold, still hold?
2: I would say that uh, clearly where we're at now is maximizing cash generation. We have 14 transactions um, during the during the pause and, mm-hmm. and now a 15th as we refinance one of those. And to raise $23.6 billion, a lot of it in debt, right. um, either senior or uh, or secondary. But the bottom line is um, we want to accelerate repaying that debt. We want to return to the credit ratings that we had, the strong credit ratings that we had pre-COVID. And in doing so, we'll create great value for the shareholders. And the way for us to do that is to be sailing again, generating cash. We have a more efficient fleet. We eliminated 19 of our least efficient vessels. Mm -hmm. We have new vessels coming in that are far more efficient a strong environment with robust demand. And uh, it's just going to, it looks very positive going forward.
0: So positive enough that you think you can get back to Triple B territory on your debt anytime soon?
2: I think anytime soon. It's going to take us a, a few years to get back okay. to the very high credit rating that that we had before. Um, but, but we're going to, we, we should be able to do that, assuming, you know, that the trajectory stays with the pandemic. And and things continue to roll.
1: I'm interested to hear about how you get that next generation of cruisers to become. we have got to get Tim on a ship, Arnold. I've,
2: we... I've never been on a cruise,
1: for example, <laughs> how but I do we feel do it? like <laughs> I would be somebody who you would want to reach, right? I have a young family. How do you get us uh, to become that next generation of cruisers?
2: Well, first of all, you know, we sell a lot of millennials now, so the uh, cruise is by definition multi generation. And so, so many people of all ages have Cruze. Uh, we sell more children, for example, on our Carnival brand than any other line in the world. And so we, we have multi-generational experience already. The second thing is that, especially for millennials, uh, they love experiences, everybody does, yeah. but, but they are even more predisposition, predisposition for that than others. And so that's what cruise is and all of our data shows that cruise really resonates with that generation. So for you, Tim, we just got to have you experience (laughs) it once, and you'll be hooked like the young man who told me on the ship the other day that he had 2,000 days of cruising with the Carnival brand.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Talk about
2: a recurring passenger, I've been pushing
0: him out to the water. I'm just going (laughs) to tell you, Arnold. Hey, last question. Um, The events of the past year, how is it? reshaped your long-term approach to the company and the
2: industry? I, I'm sorry, could you repeat? I'm getting get a little feedback. No, Say you it be, again, uh, my,
0: our apologies. Arnold, how have the events of the past year kind of reshaped your long-term approach to the company and specifically uh, the cruise industry? And just got about a minute. I
2: think our long-term approach is the same. First of all, our highest responsibility, and therefore our top priority, always, always, is compliance, environmental protection, and the health, safety, and well-being of our guests, of the people in the communities we touch and serve, and then of our shipboard and shoreside personnel. So that is our foundation, that gives us the freedom to operate, and that is at our core what we have to do exceedingly well to put us in position to exceed guest expectations and generate great returns for shareholders.
0: Arnold, thank you so much. Arnold Donald, Chief Executive Officer at Carnival Corporation, uh, joining us from their headquarters in Miami.
2: This is Bloomberg
0: Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio it's about china's favorite fiery liquor it is getting a millennial makeover and i gotta just tell you the backstories that we've been having around our table here in the studio
1: yeah we should have been broadcasting during the break (laughs) i'm kind of glad
0: they didn't bring samples
1: (laughs) so joining us now is joel weber editor at bloomberg business week he's with us in the bloomberg interactive broker studio as is jim ellis assistant managing editor at bloomberg business week uh joel what you have had this liquor. uh Baiju. Baijiu, yeah. And, how, how is it? What does it
3: taste like? Um, well, I can rewind the clock a little bit. Okay, and I was take in, us there. I was in Beijing for the New Economy Forum a couple years ago in the before times, and the uh, we have a great colleague there, John Liu. Who, um, you know, one interesting thing about going to China is that you know it's actually kind of difficult to interact and do commerce because you know I'm a, I'm a gringo, my cash doesn't work there, I don't have the apps that they use, so you're sort of locked out. The great joy of that is that your colleagues basically have to take you everywhere and, and feed you. Um, so we had this great dinner, um, and John was like, you, you got a little bit more wind in you? And I was like, yeah, I got a little bit. And he was like, I'm going to get something for you. And he, and he gave us some baiju. And I really don't remember what happened from then on out. It, <laughs> it, we're just talking a little bit. It is, it is memorable. It is uh, spicy, hot, fiery, uh, and it is stuck with me. And I never want to have it again. And that was what caught my attention on this story. Captain right, Ellis is laughing <laughs> like because, <laughs> crazy over because, here. Uh, because is, uh, it is a national liqueur, right? And mm-hmm. it is interesting around the world. I mean. I guess in America, we have Budweiser, but other people have like real things like <laughs> no. in Hungary, I've, you have Unicom in uh, Greece, you have Uzu, like in, in China, you have Baiju, right? You have Baijiu.
4: I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, it's always been used for celebrations and um, I mean, got a lot of Americans, the first exposure they had to it was when, um, you know, when Nixon and Zhao and Lai toasted each other with Baijiu when they opened up China to the West. And um, you sort of think, well, what is that? Well, it's the most popular liquor in China. It is a huge business. It's much bigger than beer. It's a $147 billion a year business. It is massive. It is uh, something that everyone likes there and has used for celebrations for centuries. The problem is that it's very strong. It's 110 proof. And for a lot of younger uh, drinkers, they think it's way too strong. Younger drinkers in China are becoming much more like consumers elsewhere. Mm -hmm. They like things like, um, you know, they're experimenting with wine, they're experimenting with cocktails, and the notion of sitting down and basically drinking fire water, you know, which is popular with businessmen who are older, is something that is not working out for them.
0: Uh, Millennial, what do you think? Of no, this? thanks. I mean, I'm the one
1: who's, like, talking about non-alcoholic <laughs> beer. I'm, like, scared even. My stomach is, is, is fiery thinking about this. So, well, so, so, how are they, what are they trying to do to actually attract millennials? So, there's
3: one company in partic- particular that our story focuses on, which I'm going to attempt to say it. Jim, I think you can say it better than me. Jing Zhao Bai. Right. It's, con- uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's
4: Chongqing Jing Zhao Bai, which is, um, a, a, it's, they're basically trying to make uh, Baijiu something that younger drinkers would like. And what that means is uh, sort of using marketing that aims at the young, uh, putting, um, you know, going online, looking for ways to, you know, you can suggest, you know, sayings that they'll print on the bottles. Mm-hmm. They also sell it on T Mall, which is the massive, you know, sort of e commerce site there. They push it to, um, you know, in things like anime. They've done ways to appeal to a younger person who, typically wouldn't want this. They've also um, you know, tried to m- find ways to use it as, you know, as in, in flavors. I mean, you don't normally mm-hmm. think of this kind of thing, mixing as a cocktail. But for younger drinkers, and particularly female drinkers, they want something that has a little bit more of a fruity taste and something that doesn't really knock you out.
0: Is it working?
4: It is working. I mean, this is actually growing very fast. And what, because of that, it's attracted other people who want to get into the sort of lighter Um, you know, sort of lighter liquor business there. There are, um, you know, it's not just Bai that have flavors. There are also plum wines are becoming a big growth business over there. That's not a big business outside of certain markets in Asia, Mm. but it's really working over there. This is the future. And, um, you know, liquor, especially in a market that large, even having just a sliver of this business. You know, means that you're going to you know basically have a really really big business,
3: and part of the strategy here, as um, the CEO told us, was they they want to be a little bit like the Uniqlo of Mm Bijou. So Mm -hmm. you know, you walk into a a Uniqlo shop again in the before times, and (laughs) and it's it's like walking into a Skittles bag, right? It's just like colors everywhere, tons of things for everyone, and yet it's all affordable. It's all very utilitarian, right? So if you you know jim I am curious like what's what's the rest of this what are they fighting against right like what what are the what are they up against
4: well, they're up against the you know first of all, the younger consumers are much more experimental and they are looking for. Other types of, of, of tipples. I mean, one thing is that uh, you know, wine is something that's not really a long term thing in Chinese culture, but they really are growing, and that's pushing a lot of the sort of Western winemakers to say they want to come in, like LVMH to come in and do, develop wines just for China. That's a new group that wants to, you know, sort of get there. They also are up against, um, you know, sort of from a marketing standpoint, you, you drink baijiu because often it's because of a business connection, this mm-hmm. business meeting, you know, like you know, Joel's dinner. Um, but
0: How do you do that? Because if <laughs> well, I mean, the business meeting is over. <laughs> well, they, they tend
4: to split bottles, and that's oh, okay. a different, uh, different approach here. There will be a large extremely expensive bottle. Bottles
0: can be up Well, good. that's that's what's curious. What is it Bottles cost? Bottles can
4: be... You know, a, a, a bottle might be for, for a sort of flying fairy. might be... Three hundred and eighty dollars, three hundred and ninety dollars for a bottle. That is a lot of money. But yeah. well, but no, a, a fancy baijiu could go take you up to
3: almost four thousand dollars.
4: Did
0: they expense that? Joke? So, <laughs> I, I, no comment. I can't.
3: I, I literally could not interact with Congress. <laughs> I was locked out. I didn't see. But price a
4: Xingjiao bai is, is, is has taken a different approach, which is to come up with a much less expensive version that, and also small bottles. That you can use with just you and a friend. I, right. vague,
3: I have a vague reminiscent of it being a small bottle. It was not a big bottle. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, the other thing, Jim, here is like, is, is there, is there an ability for a product like this to really ever find its way out of China at this day and age, or is this just really you're just appealing to, you know, the, the billions of, of Chinese? Just got consumers. about twenty five seconds. Well,
4: most likely, this is something that won't make it here because here in the U.S., most things are going lighter not heavier.
3: What I think is just sort of interesting about this is like even something like this that you could just leave, you you would think that there's no future in this, right? And it can cost like upwards of $1,000 and yet you wrap a little bit of a story around it, you put some marketing dollars behind it, reimagine it, and like maybe you got a shot. We're already
1: getting some scent here for you, Joel. Oh, well,
3: (laughs) we know how that
0: ends. Next time we go to the bar, we'll check it out. Joel Weber and Jim Ellis of Bloomberg Business Week.
5: This is Bloomberg
0: Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on
2: Bloomberg Radio.
0: So we have a flurry of virus and vaccine headlines. Health officials in southwestern Missouri or Missouri asked the state to set up an emergency hospital to handle a surge in Delta variant cases. Tim, that... threatened to really overwhelm health services there.
1: Yeah, and we're also keeping an eye, of course, on the Delta variant and listening to what executives have to say during their earnings calls about how they're monitoring it, not just for their business, but as they also, at the same time, try to get employees back to the office.
0: Africa, by the way, has seen a million new cases over the past month. Hospitals are at a breaking point with the continent in the grip of its most severe wave of infections uh, there. So lots to get to. Let's bring in Tolbert Nishwa. He is Senior Research Associate at Johns Hopkins University, Bloomberg School of Public Health, former Deputy Minister Minister of Health for the Republic of Liberia. He joins us on the phone from Delaware at the Bloomberg School of Public Health, supported by Michael R. Bloomberg, founder of Bloomberg LP and Bloomberg Philanthropies. Tolbert, nice to have you here with Tim and myself. Every day, you know, Tim and I have to go through and look through the headlines to try and really put out there to our audience what really matters, what they need to know about. What do you think first and foremost? Do we have to kind of understand about where we are when it comes to uh, the health pandemic?
5: Karat, uh, Thank you for having me. Thank you both of you for having me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. We in a situation where risk communication and community engagement uh, cannot be overemphasized. The fact of the matter is, people are the vaccine uptake is suboptimal, and we see a strong correlation between unvaccinated. And COVID-19 cases, hotspot, hospitalization, severe disease, and unfortunately, deaths. And these are preventable once you take your shots. So people need to make use of the vaccines. In fact, gave you specific examples of COVID-19 hotspots right now, you see states like Missouri, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Utah, Nevada, Arkansas, Mississippi, these states the vaccination rate is still
1: below 40%. How do you, how do you get it above? How, if, if people aren't going to get a vaccine now who have access to vaccines for free, who have access to vaccines that are really convenient, are they ever going to get a vaccine? Is I it time think, to just move on and, 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 and send these vaccines out of the United States to, to countries that, that need them more?
5: It is important to solve the inequity gap that we have in other countries like in the global south, in Africa and other areas around the world and what's happening in Asia. But it's also good for the United States that have assets and availability to make use of the vaccines. That's the most important part. Uh, politicizing public health, especially the current COVID-19 vaccination program, place people in harm's way. With the data variance, we see that 99% of the infection and deaths are in people unvaccinated. So people should not move on. We need to get to zero cases of this virus or create the hair immunity. 70% of the population get vaccinated and, and make sure that we do this. It's a patriotic duty. Every citizen to take their vaccines.
0: Hey, Tolbert, let me ask you something, because we just had on the Carnival uh, Corporation CEO, Arnold Donald, and, you know, they are starting to set sail here in the U.S., out of U.S. ports specifically, but it is a slow progress, and they've been waiting for a long time. Uh, And I asked uh, Arnold about the Delta variant specifically, the impact it has, and, you know, he did talk about that they've dealt with other viruses. They've talked with Zika, you know, dealt with Zika. They've dealt with, you know, sars is there something different though about COVID versus some of those other viruses?
5: The other viruses you just talk about what that are the level of a pandemic and what makes this difficult is that the entire world is dealing with this pandemic and these virus and the fact that we still don't have treatment for this and the vaccines are in low supply. The shortage the supply chain is it's limited for the rest of the world. It gives the virus the opportunity to mutate, and this is why we've seen the variants that's occurring right now. We've seen four kinds of variants, and the variants, sorry, and the data variant is becoming more transmissible, as we see it studies in the UK and other area of shown 60% transmission, and even more virulent as, as as compared to the rest of the three uh, alpha uh, uh, maker and Gamma variants, variants that we've seen, this is this is the, 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 the important part. We dealt with Ebola. Ebola was mm. once I was the incident manager in West Africa when we dealt with Ebola. It was continued and localized in three West African countries. Zika did not go as widespread as we see as a pandemic right now. And so this is different with, with COVID nineteen. But the good news is we now have the vaccine. So people should go and take their vaccines. That's very, very critical.
1: Tolbert, you were deputy minister of health for the Republic of Liberia. We Carol mentioned the statistics about Africa very concerning. It is not a monolith. Each country is different. But I do wonder what's a realistic way for us to think about the pandemic ending on the continent given the tough access to vaccines that many countries have, does it just, does it, does it just continue to, to go unabated?
5: It is right now. And no country is safe. One, another part of the world is not making the same progress that countries in the global north, the United States and Europe are making right now. The trend in Africa is, is worsening. And, the reasons are simple. Number one, our uh, healthcare systems are weak in those countries, which is in the number of cases. Our concern right now, the scientific and global health community, public health communities, does not get Africa to where India is and Nepal and other countries are right now. And we see the trend in Africa to be, you know, worsening mm-hmm. and alarming with just less than 2% of the people having vaccines and vaccines are not available, the health system weakness, uh, people are downplaying the virus. Right. because They're not seeing the number of deaths Tolbert. in other places.
0: Tolbert, thank you so much. We really always appreciate when you give us some time. Tolbert Nishwa, Senior Research Associate at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, on the phone from Delaware. I'm my core. So Tim and I have been watching the trade today. We've been bouncing around, certainly on the equity front. We're off our lows, off our highs of the day as well. Talking about, though, the importance, it feels like, when it comes to the bond market specifically, watching that 10-year note, that yield uh, below 1.3. So let's see what it all means. Let's get to it with Anna Hahn. She's Vice President and Equity Strategist at Wells Fargo Securities with us on the phone in New York City. Anna, good to have you here with Tim and myself. You do watch the equity markets, but, you know, you watch the financial markets. Do you feel like the equity markets or the bond market tells the true story of what's going on and what we can expect in terms of the economic and market environment for those publicly held companies?
6: Hi, Carol. I mean, I think you got to look at it together, right? Because both parts, equity and the fixed income markets, are giving you a little bit of a mixed signal when you mm-hmm. look at it on their own. But when you blend them together, the picture starts coming together. So we can start with the fixed income markets. You see that yields are dropping the 10-year below 130. It's got people jittery, worried about future economic growth here. But you see the pullback there is mostly coming out of real yield. It's not coming out of the inflation expectation portion. So it looks like, okay, it's not necessarily future growth that's really taking it. And then you look over towards the equity side, what's leading today? Youths, staples, but also financials, right? So it's this mixed bag where you have part of the market concerned, that you know accommodation is not enough it's, it's got to stay on because uh you know inflation is too transitory but you have the other part of the market thinking hey growth will continue so you it's a mixed bag today
1: so what so let me go back to the the message that the the bond market is sending at least as as far as you're interpreting it what what is it exactly saying to you with yields dropping like this
6: When yields drop like this, generally we think about, you know, the belly of the curve or the longer end of the curve as a reflection of the growth of the economy or expected inflation, right? But- in that aspect, you have to realize the nominal yields moving has two components to it. You have the actual real yields portion, and then you have the part where then you can back out how much of it means actually the inflation expectation, the future growth part. And a lot of the move, especially since the end of March, has come from that real yields portion. I think that part by the end of the year is going to have an inflection point and trend back upwards. Right now, real yields are in negative territory. I think that uh, the 10-year is... Probably around negative ninety basis points, if not more, in real yield. I think they'll trim up to probably negative fifty by the end of this year. Still negative we'll see though. Yields eventually, yes. yep. Still negative. It makes it tough for the financial sector as well when you see yields low like that.
0: Which is why you say it is fascinating to look at the major industry groups in the S and P 500. There are eleven utilities and consumer staples, as you say, which would be kind of a more safer play, right? Careful play, uh, and then financials and real estate, you know, which would speak to recovery, right? It's it's it is a Bag.
6: Yep. And something special, too, that I want to highlight here is that youths, staples, and REITs, they're very traditionally what we like to classify as low volatility sectors. Like you said, Carol, defenses. Mm-hmm. But not just offensive uh, because you know, economically you think about their sensitivity, but also because as yields retreat in a growth-contracting environment, these kind of groups tend to hold up better. They tend to outperform the market. And low vol is a tactical positioning that we recently recommended for those who you know, need to lighten up on, on that sting from, the, from yields retreating.
1: Hey, Anna, we just spoke earlier in the show to Arnold Donald, the president and CEO of Carnival Cruise Corporation. Uh, he told us that demand is robust, pricing is strong, and in fact, that bookings in 2022, uh, pricing is also stronger than all the way back in, in 2019. I'm wondering about mid-cycle recovery plays because I know you got your eyes on on leisure and travel, people looking for experiences over things. What do you got your eye on?
6: Similar, like you said, the cruise industry is a great example, but anything tied to that where people can travel again hotels, leisure uh, when you're going out somewhere, and really, when you say experiences it's a uh, you know kind of a cheesy phrase, but it 's true. Think about those parts where lodging um airfares. Uh, car rental. These kind of things are people what people want to do because we haven't been able to. So that's that mid-cycle exposure we like, and we still think it's too early to shift. It's not into the late cycle plays. I think that the economic recovery where it is today, we're still going to see some robust growth for a couple quarters, especially on the earnings front.
0: Might we stay in this mid-cycle world for a while?
6: It's very possible because if you think about one thing that's kind of dampened uh, earnings growth a little bit, at least we're seeing evidence of that in this earnings season, is the supply constraints and that labor shortage. You've heard it time, time and again. But what's also kind of not offsetting it necessarily but also helping to extend the economic cycle is that corporates themselves are doing more supply management and that supply management because they know that they have low inventories they're not rushing necessarily to restock these inventories but they're managing their supply chain so that they can extend their corporate growth out i think that's helping as well and they're going to keep us still in that mid-cycle for a little longer
1: what are you seeing with earnings right now? I'm just thinking about mid-cycle, right? <laughs> he like, paused. Like, he's like, wait yeah. a minute. Well, it's, it's interesting because here we are. The banks, the big banks have all reported. Yeah. Right? So just
0: the beginning of earnings. It is
1: just the beginning of earnings season. But this is like what marks the beginning of earnings season. Mm-hmm. It gives us so much insight, Anna, into what these companies are thinking about the economy. And we have gotten a handful of companies as well, including airlines and Pepsi, uh, Outside of the big banks, but how would you characterize the results that we've we've heard thus far? Because investor expectations are really high here. I'm talking to the tune of over 60% earnings growth.
6: Yep, you know you hit something uh, very key here is that invest expectations because right now you're seeing that a lot of the corporates over the last two quarters were beating EPS estimates, but those EPS estimates were sell side. Now, the way that this earnings season has started, same thing. You're getting a good amount of EPS beats out there, but the reaction to these beats hasn't been so hot. You're not seeing this great one-day reward after announcement. It's because investor expectations are elevated. But something to keep in mind is that what also people look at here is what are corporates saying in those transcripts. And what we've highlighted is there's a lot of focus on margin pressure and input costs for those corporates who are saying that they're able to pass along those elevated input costs and able to maintain those margins because right now demand remains so robust and they can manage those supply chains you know that's that's a pretty good sign but we also have corporates that are talking about, hey, these margin pressures are are coming at us. They might eat into us in the next couple quarters. And I think for those companies in particular, investors might be getting a little more uh, uncertain on.
0: But it is tricky. That I mean, I think Tim and I, we, in talking with various CEOs and leaders uh, and industry watchers, it's not the same when it comes to wage constraints or labor constraints. We found that with Arnold yeah. Donald. They've, they tap into a global workforce and he seems to be pretty comfortable.
1: 145 with it. countries and it's fine hiring.
0: It's massive and he didn't seem to have any problems. So I just do wonder how do you how do you figure out is there a narrative here really, a, a true narrative when it comes to higher wages and the impact it might have?
6: You know, Carol, that's our job every day as a macro <laughs> strategist. you got to go from the top down but pay attention to those little details and put together what is the big theme. And so far... I think it helps also when you kind of focus a little more by industry. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at kind of more the the uh, sectors, so far they're saying, "Hey, we can maintain margin; we can pass along price." But some other parts of the market, you're seeing that these labor constraints are really eating into those margins, yeah. and they're not so sure how that's going to keep up. But that's the name of the game for mid-cycle right. economic uh, recovery. It's right. not this easy dumpster diving that we saw early cycle. <laughs> that's right. Where you can just <laughs> kind of go anywhere. Hey, time. No, it's right. It makes so much
0: sense. Anna, thanks so much. Really great conversation. Anna Hahn, Vice President and Equity Strategist over at Wells Fargo Securities, joining us on the phone in New York City.
1: Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com.
0: And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.